Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Extrospective Podcast with your host, Zach Villeneuve-Snell. This week's guest is Tracy Zhu, who is a senior lecturer at the University of Surrey in hospitality and conducts research in the field of organizational psychology. I reached out to Tracy as she was part of TEDx Surrey University, which if you haven't caught on by now, I was very lucky to host last year. She's the last of the TEDx speakers to be on the podcast. And I loved her talk on the bright side of motherhood, talking all about her positive experience of juggling that alongside her research. And in this episode, we do delve into that towards the later end of the podcast, talking about her TEDx talk and, of course, her own experiences of motherhood, but also culture-wide issues as to why women are choosing to forego raising a family in the pursuit of career, oftentimes the cost of living. We talk about her best research, how nature engagement during the pandemic was able to lift people's moods, so clearly the importance of nature and getting outside now that we can do that. And we also touch a little bit on her research regarding stress and strain measurement in the hospitality industry and how working together and being collaborative and working part of a team can almost mitigate the effects of the stress of running an event. As always, the podcast is of course sponsored by Runner, which is the first of its kind, fully automated, number one rated running coaching service, automated running coaching. I've used it myself. I've known the founder for a couple of years and I really believe in the direction that it's going, which is why I invited them to become the podcast sponsor. So regardless of what you're training for, a 5K, a marathon, whatever it may be, it's got a plan for you set up, personalized with feedback along the way. So if that sounds like something you'd be interested in, I know I've benefited from it, then please head over to the App Store to take your running to the next level. Uh, use code ZAK, so that's Z-A-K, for your first two weeks free. And uh, yeah, let me know how you get on with it if you do decide to uh, go into it. But without further ado, that's enough talking for me. Welcome to the show. Tracy Yu. I want to share that motherhood has many positive sides. You may regret decision because you can no longer have a child when you are in your 50s and 60s. We find that the benefits of nature engagement via social media is enormous. If you had a car in the 1990s, it means that you are super rich. So you need to care for, for yourself first until that you care for the others. If my work has not been done for that day, after my daughter goes to bed, I work until midnight, so from 9 p.m. to 12 a.m. when you're doing the job. So you may fake your emotions when you are serving the customers, right? So that's called service acting. If you have raised your kids, you can manage anything. Tracy, you're the last of the TEDx Surrey University speakers that I've reached out to record a podcast with. I wanted to speak oh. to you as your talk on the bright side of motherhood is almost countercultural at this point, where at least from my view, mm -hmm. based on recent data, many girls and women are choosing to forego a family in the pursuit of a career, which I think is really sad. And I loved mm. your positive message and, and learnings from it. Uh, not only Thank that, you. <laughs> no worries at all. You're a senior lecturer in hospitality mm. and conduct research also in the field of organizational psychology, which I'd love to know more about. Um, so with this introduction on, on kind of what you are, uh, would you like to introduce who you are? Okay, so uh, I'm Tracy, uh, as, as you said, senior lecturer in hospitality management. And I really love hospitality management because uh, it's my passion and I love interacting with people. And so that's why I'm ending at Surrey. You know, Surrey is the top one in the UK and top two in the world. So uh, I love working here. And this is me, Tracy. <laughs> Before we dive into 
uh, your TEDx talk and maybe more recent research that I've had a kind of a look over that I found really interesting. Um, but if we turn back the pages for a bit of context with you, what were you like as a child? What was your, your personality like growing up? First of all, we need to know what is personality, right? I don't, I don't know if you know the big five personality traits. So those big five include emotional stability. I think I'm very good at that. Conscientiousness. Conscientiousness means um, uh, you are very organized. I think I'm uh, very hardworking and organized uh, since I was a child. And the, the other thing is extroversion. I don't think I'm that extrovert. Uh, I think I'm more introverted. I, I would like more of my, myself time. So I'm more, I think I'm more introverted uh, rather than extrovert, uh, those outgoing person. And the other one uh, uh, is openness to experience, is that uh, you want to seek novelty. And that's what I think uh, I'm good at uh, because I always uh, seek for uh, novel ideas to do research. Uh, so that's one. Then let me think about the other one. Um, so those um, agreeableness, okay, agreeableness. So I like to talk to people, agree, uh, agree with other people. So uh, I, I think uh, those are some of my personality traits that uh, since I grew up. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think it's really insightful because a lot of the time you ask people that question and they always see they try and kind of on what they know of personality and maybe they've yeah. done some self-reflection in the past mm. but particularly for you, you you're, you're able to actually know because obviously I've come across the big five in my own kind of personal curiosity in, in psychology and mm. uh, it's obviously that kind of standard amongst the practice and research for how we work out how someone is in certain like social environments so I think it's really, really good that you've, you've started with the, with the big five. Oh, yeah. Start with the theory. That's what the lecturers are talking about, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And it makes perfect sense there uh, and, and yeah. how that personality trait kind of molds quite well <clears throat> to being a lecturer and, and, and managing to balance that way out with being, mm, being a mother true, as well. True, true. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in preparing for this podcast, uh, you did mention <laughs> that obviously English is your second language. You didn't grow up here. Uh, you grew up uh, in China. So... Are yeah. there any kind of significant memories uh, and distinct lessons that you can draw on from your childhood that, that stick with you today? So uh, I was growing up uh, in a uh, very small countryside of south part of China uh, in a province called Jiangxi province. Uh, that's uh, southeast of China. And I have made um, many, many lifetime friends, friends that I've known for over 30 years. Uh, and during that time, uh, we walked to school and back to home. And uh, during the 1990s, uh, the transportation was not that good uh, in my area. So not everyone has a car. And in fact, if you had a car uh, in the 1990s, it means that you are super rich. <laughs> so as you, you can remember in my TED talk, I walk with my daughter to school every day. Uh, so it makes uh, my makes me and my daughter very healthy. This really comes from my childhood. Also, do you know that uh, from tomorrow is another new Chinese year? So, so tomorrow is, uh, from tomorrow is the rabbit year. Okay. And this year, uh, is tiger and, uh, the Chinese new year is from tomorrow. And we often celebrate Chinese new year, uh, in China. So with, with many friends that you come together, uh, and this comes to the culture of uh, I think it's called collectivism, right? So uh, many people uh, get together with their uh, family friends, uh, family members and friends. Uh, we mm, talk with each other. So uh, that's, uh, that's how I grew up in China. 
So a, a far less of like an individualistic culture that maybe we we have in the West, far more kind of um, mm. community based and, and, you know, I'll yeah, do this true. for you, you do this for me. And it's kind of a, I, I yeah. guess, all that celebration over, over those new years and, and things like yeah. that, which which I'm sure many people would, would love to learn more about and something that I'm probably quite naive uh, in, in understanding. No, no, no problem. <laughs> <laughs> How would you say your your parents influenced you um, growing up, or, or kind of those sort of cultures? Like, how 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 did you how did you see that their influence had on the way that your personality was, and and what sparked and light in you to pursue the career that you did? Oh, okay, okay. So my parents, uh, uh, they worked in hospital, so they work in the same hospital. And my dad is a doctor, my mom is a nurse, and they have very good healthy habits in terms of what food to eat and what exercise to do. And they always make very healthy meals for me. Uh, and uh, so that uh, also comes to the self-care that I really ha- passionate about. So you really need to care for your health, for your body, uh, until that you can care for the others. Okay, so you need to care for, for yourself first until that you care for the others. And uh, they also took me to the piano lessons during that time, piano was very, very expensive uh, in the 1990s. And my parents saved one year's salary to buy me a piano. And I really cherished that. And they also spent a lot of money on the piano lessons because uh, there's no, uh, not so many uh, piano teachers in my city. So we traveled to another city to learn the piano and uh, it took a lot of time of transportation uh, during the weekends. Uh, and so, so that uh, helped my personality in terms of uh, conscientiousness. That means that you need to be hardworking and you need to be very organized. And this, can, uh, this also helped me in terms of time management as well. So I, I think those are uh, some of the lessons that I learned from my parents. You definitely have to be well organized working in a hospital with with all the stress of patients coming and going, and especially mm. as a doctor and, and managing all of that. But it it makes yeah. perfect sense that then you you would kind of develop those traits as well, even from from piano lessons. I mean, I was very fortunate that, that my that my grandfather uh, taught me to play the piano when I was younger as well. Oh, and <laughs> even though uh, you know I I still play the piano and it's an incredible skill in and of itself, but mm. it's, it the lessons more broadly that you can take from learning the piano about you know gradually improving repeated repetition every week um as a young person you learn that if you do work Mm. hard at something and then Mm -hmm. you can you can create a beautiful sound from it and i think that of course applies to uh, other areas in in life Mm -hmm. what was it that inspired you uh, as you were sort of growing up to pursue this route of hospitality mm. and kind of organizational psychology as well because it's obviously um, so intrinsic uh, to all of our lives mm. you know you hospitality is, is everywhere in life we wouldn't yeah. we, we couldn't really have an enjoyable True. experience out without it yeah. so mm-hmm. so how, what led you to, to want to, to delve into that oh yeah so uh is that i really like interacting with people and studying the psychology of the people so i started to learn human resource management and organizational behavior uh, since i was pursuing my master's degree 
so during that time, my supervisor, uh, that, that's in Beijing. So uh, I was studying my master's degree at Beijing International Studies University. And my supervisor guided me through this learning journey. So for example, she introduced me to the topic of emotional labor. And I don't know if you know the concept emotional labor. So it's the management of your emotions when you are working, when you are doing the job. So you may fake your emotions when you are serving the customers, right? So that's called service acting. And the other concept, uh, which means deep acting is that you actually feel the positive emotions when you are uh, serves your uh, when you are when you serve your customers so there's two kind of dimensions or strategies when you do the service work so that's emotional labor and i was also introduced to many other uh, interesting con uh, concepts such as well-being uh, work life balance work uh, engagement uh, mindfulness job crafting so uh, so many interesting concepts and I, I'm very passionate and fascinated in learning those concepts and studying how people uh, uh, studying how people interact with each other and studying the psychology behind it uh, and this uh, the organizational psychology is more about the concept of psychology of uh, of the employees in the workplace so it's uh, the um, it is more like the link between human resource management and organizational behavior. I see. Yeah, yeah. And, and I think it's it's super interesting because uh, mm. that's probably a lot of the reason, not specifically focused on mm. hospitality, but that's also a lot of the reason why I find psychology in general interesting because yeah. you, you see things on the surface level uh, and you want, to, you want to understand what's going on underneath. You want to understand why. You want to keep mm, asking why, why, why is, yeah. why are people burning out? Why is this happening in, in, in work? What's good and bad? Yeah. So I think obviously I, I fully can, can understand um, mm -mm. What, what would have led you to that. Purely out of curiosity, I, I know you were doing this master's uh, in, in China. How does China differ from UK in, in, in the world of academia? Like, is there any like significant mm. differences of practice, the research or, or the time management when you're doing it? Is there anything? Okay, yeah, yeah. So I did both my bachelor's degree and master's degree in China, and I did my uh, PhD uh, in the UK, uh, in, in the US. So that's uh, Pennsylvania State University. And uh, I'm working now here in the UK. So uh, I think uh, it's more about the cultural difference in terms of uh, teaching uh, in both China and UK and US. So if you know the Hofstadt, cultural dimensions uh, of Hofstadt's cultural dimensions, that, that's one dimension, high power distance versus low power distance. So I think China is more high power distance. So I, when I was doing my undergraduate degree in China, uh, a master's degree in China, the class was exclusively lectures. Okay, so it, there's no seminars and uh, it's exclusively lectures and students tend to listen to the lectures and taking notes, okay, so they are uh, listening to the lectures and taking notes, so that's high power distance culture, you need to listen to what the lecturers say, and uh, show high respect to the lecturers, but uh, while in the UK, there are lectures and seminars, and you can feel free to disagree with your lecturers, and you can challenge the theories and literatures, right, so, so that's what I found interesting, you uh, know, in those two cultural differences. I think it's it's almost. Um, I think in the UK we have quite a distinct transition point between school and university, yeah. where 
in school, because obviously you're also a young child, like you have that kind of that underlying fear and respect for the teacher, mm -hmm. for the headmaster. But yeah. it almost seems as if when you go to university, um, you mm. still have that respect for them because obviously your lecturer has the expertise and the research that sure. they command. Sure. But also mm. they, they are far more on the human level of being able to kind of approach them in office hours, ask questions, kind of, as of you course. say, challenge them. But it's interesting yeah. to hear that that culture doesn't really change in China. It's still, there's still that distance um, and separation. I haven't uh, taught in China now. Uh, may maybe there are some uh, uh, changes. I think there should be more seminars and I believe that there should be more interactions now. You mentioned then you, you, you love this subject so much that you went on to stay in academia and go in yeah. to do a PhD. Can you tell us a little bit about what that, that PhD was on and, and what the what the findings were from it? I think I've written down here something to do with the trajectories mm. in stress and train during a stressful event. So what does that actually okay. mean? What does that mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So so that's my dissertation topic. And my dissertation topic looks at uh, the stress and strain of a stressful event. So the stressful event is that the students were running a theme dinner. Uh, so so we have a student-run uh, restaurant at Penn State. And uh, uh, so the students, they were uh, organized uh, into groups and each group, they are running a theme dinner for a particular night. And that's a very stressful event for the students. And we want to see um, so the change trajectories before the dinner and during the dinner and after the dinner. So we track the students' emotions, stress, and emotional exhaustions. So emotional exhaustion means that you are exhausted during the day. So we, we track those um, constructs uh, for seven days. So that's uh, three days before the event and the one day during the event and then three days after the event. So for a total of seven days. And we found that um, before the event, uh, your stress level will be going up. Okay, so so there there's a uh, inverted U shaped trajectory. So uh, before the um, event, uh, your stress go up, and during the event, your stress was at the peak. At the peak, okay, at the peak, and after the event, your stress level will go down. And this also comes to emotional exhaustion and sleep quality as well. So emotional exhaustion, also the same trajectory, but for sleep quality, it's the U-shaped trajectory. So before the event, the sleep quality will go down. And during the event, your sleep quality was the worst. And then after the event, your sleep quality was going up. Okay, so that, that's uh, what I'm tracking, uh, what, what I was uh, doing for the uh, for this dissertation. And uh, I'm also interested, I was also interested in looking at what kind of constructs that can shape those trajectory. So I was looking at uh, group cohesion. So whether your group was cohesive or not uh, is the solidarity of the group and the collectiveness of the group members feel towards each other. So if your group cohesion was high, then it can help to flatten the trajectory. So it means that it can help to reduce the negative effect of stress, right? So that's uh, my dissertation all about. Uh, and uh, this paper has been published in uh, Cornell Hospitality Quarterly, uh, which is a good hospitality journal. And if you want to look at that, uh, I, I can share the link with you and you, you can share this uh, uh, 
after the podcast. Yeah, yeah, I, I can also uh, link it in the um in the episode on wherever it's published on Apple and and Spotify okay. and things. Okay. Oh, um, lovely. What I what I find really interesting is that um mm. the whether the group is cohesive, it, it almost acts as a multiplier to the stress because if you've already got a very stressful situation with you know cooking, preparing, managing things, in, mm. in preparing a dinner. And the people you're working with are doing different things and you're having to get, you get angry and irate at them, not doing what oh, you told them to do. It, it's yeah. like you've already got enough to deal with. So <laughs> the group yeah. obviously makes it even worse. But if there is group cohesion, then despite the hard work, people feel mm. like people feel valued. They feel like there's a purpose to what they're doing. Therefore, they're more willing and they probably feel better as a result because they are, they're mm. working in unison and they can feel like they're, they're part of a team. So yeah. Even though those are things that we, on the surface level, take for granted, I think mm. what I love about academia is then literally proving that empirically. Yeah, <laughs> um, proving that. Yeah. How how are you measuring those those things out of curiosity? Like, how how did you actually oh. measure how stressed or strained someone was? Okay, so so we have the standardized scale. So we adopted those scales from the previous research. So the previous research has those scales available, and uh, I'm I, I was using those scales to validate and then do some magic statistics around them yeah. uh, to check the reliability scores and validity scores. Did you uh, ask them? Que- did you ask them questions and then they report back yeah. and then you yeah. you apply that into some kind of statistical model and then it spits yeah, out true. yeah okay. i run some sem models and um, multi-level models so so it's all about statistics <laughs> that, that's what i love as well and, and the listeners will, will it, well they might know but i i'm basically doing a placement at the ons office for national statistics and um, okay. what, what i really love is the fact that statistics can provide these they can measure things that weren't measurable before <laughs> like oh, oh, like it's like how do you measure how happy someone is or now we have statistics and we have the right questions we can literally quantify which i find um super super interesting true um, true and so that was your phd and then because you were uh, really invested yeah. now in this this topic you decided mm. to pursue it uh, as a career yeah. and go go into yeah. academia uh, completely mm-hmm. um mm. Initially, I've written down here that you went into sort of that organizational psychology. In in layman's terms, could you just reiterate what organizational psychology is and how does it differ from like other aspects of psychology research? Essentially, psychology so is an area of psychology concerns human behavior and interaction between people in the workplace. So it has some uh, key keywords there. So it's psychology and uh, it's about people so it's about uh, employees in the workplace okay so it's about to study the psychology of the employees how they interact with their customers how they interact with their colleagues uh, interact with the leaders or subordinates uh, and uh, it's the psychology behind that and we also call it organizational behavior so so it's um so it's uh, looking at the psychology around people and how that will influence people's performance, the perceptions, attitudes, behaviors, right? So so it's all about uh, employees in the workplace. Before I kind of hone in on any particular paper, I mean, uh, you, you've obviously published a lot of work to choose from to talk about, but before mm. I choose what, what I found interesting, could you maybe um, talk about what you found most interesting? Yeah, no problem. So I, I think I, I've worked hard 
uh, on every paper. So it's really a hard question to pick up one. Uh, but I would like to say that my favorite research stream uh, is mostly about EDI. EDI is about uh, equality, diversity and inclusion, well-being of the employees. Uh, and another stream that I was working on is on nature engagement and how nature engagement impacts well-being. And this has nothing to do with organizational psychology, but it's more, uh, more about environmental psychology. So, so, so it's that uh, I'm doing some interdisciplinary research now, and um, my colleagues and I, uh, including colleagues uh, at the hospitality uh, and tourism school, and uh, colleagues in environmental psychology. So there are four colleagues and I uh, secured a research grant from ESRC. So ESRC uh, is called uh, uh, Economic and Social Research Council. Okay, so we secured research grant from uh, ESRC from the Research Council on the topic of uh, nature engagement and well-being during COVID-19. And uh, I was uh, leading a work package on the impact of nature engagement via social media on people's well-being. And uh, as you know, because of the lockdown, people cannot go out, right? So there are many great initiatives from Chris Peckham. So do you know Chris Peckham? <laughs> I've actually, yeah, uh, I've actually uh, heard him speak live at an event I went to last year. Yeah, yeah. So, so he's a naturalist, and uh, he also uh, broadcast on uh, Springwatch, and they posted uh, videos on nature uh, during the lockdown, and this has generated great interest from the public. And uh, in this project, we have analyzed over a hundred thousand comments from those videos uh, from the Facebook, and we found that. The, uh, the benefits of nature engagement via social media is enormous. So it not, can not only enhance people's um, positive emotions, and here the scientific um, definition is called hedonic well-being. So it can help them to increase their hedonic well-being, but also uh, nature engagement via social media can help them to cope with the stress and mental fatigue uh, which they are experiencing as a result of the pandemic. So it can uh, increase the sense of connectedness uh, to nature and other people because they could post comments and tag each other. So uh, help them to uh, build the connectedness between uh, between people. And uh, this idea and this research has developed into a Sari Innovation Exploratorium. I don't know if you know this or, uh, this or not. So uh, the Exploratorium is uh, was launched last November, so like uh, three months ago, and uh, this exploratorium was uh, an exhibition in the library on the first floor. So if you go to the first floor of the uh, library, you will see some nature videos, and there's also a touch screen to help with the research. Uh, so, uh, so you can see some uh, questions like, uh, um, after you watch those nature videos, what's your what are your emotions and how do you feel about this? So you can help with the little research that we are doing. Uh, so this can um, help to engage with the public and the campus community in our impactful research. What I really love about that research is is just how it's, it's such like a, a natural, like a grounding in, in nature is like a natural way to bring peace or 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 kind of reflect, right? Because I think we have all these modern practices and of course the modern day world can be so challenging with all sorts of distractions such as the phone and, and social media can be used in, in a negative way 
And uh, I mean, obviously, we have all these kind of soaring rates, very sadly, of kind of depression and anxiety and things. Oh, yeah. Uh, and I think that's because we live in such a, an artificial environment. Like a lot of the time, our lives are so um, kind of plastic in a way, if, if you know what I mean. Like it's, it's, oh, yeah. kind, of, it's kind of yeah, fake. Yeah, yeah. And I yeah. think it, it's really interesting to hear how reconnecting with uh, nature and appreciation for the kind of novelty and beauty of, of these things, even through social media can actually have a positive yeah. impact on, on people's well-being. As, as you've mentioned, uh, with kind of walking to school as a child and, and now walking uh, your daughter to school, it, it's it's almost it's just the simple things of, of being outside and experiencing mm -hmm. joy in, in the simple things that can mm -hmm. can really make a difference rather than trying to overcomplicate it um, too much. Um, mm -hmm. And I definitely recognize that in my own life as well with cycling and running outside and, and, and I like walking and things and it's just, it's a natural way to cure any kind of negative thoughts that you've, you've had from a situation. <laughs> One of the things I found really funny actually, because you did send me over a link to that study, so I, I, I very briefly checked it out. The, on the flip side, even though it was mostly a positive benefit, mm -hmm. I, I've quoted here that there was spontaneous emotions of disgust and fear when oh, yeah. there was the spiders on the social media and uh, you know you're obviously analyzing the comments of people saying oh i'm, not, I'm never gonna sleep again oh, this spider is, is so bad <laughs> um was it surprising to you to see that like there is that contrast within the responses to those things like some people really are disgusted by like snakes and spiders and things and other people actually just find it cool like oh, was that, yeah. was that, yeah, was that interesting to you yeah that, that's quite interesting because uh, uh, it depends on the content of the videos, right? So some people like this and some people don't like this. Some people think those animals are cute and some people think those animals are <laughs> disgusting. But it's totally based on people's uh, opinions, right? <laughs> yeah, but most, um, and I think that mostly they find it's beneficial. And it's not something, again, as I mentioned before, I wasn't aware that, that there was research on this kind of thing, because again, it's one of those things in, in psychology and environmental psychology where it's, it's previously been very hard to measure. Like it's hard mm -hmm. to measure this sort of thing on a zero to 10 scale, like you would mm -hmm. be able to in, in a, like a chemistry experiment. Yeah. But okay. now we have these tools to literally measure. Okay. I, I mm -hmm. grab my phone and I look at a, and a cool video of a cat maybe or a cute squirrel running down a tree and I yeah. have a positive emotional response. Like it's just such a Oh yeah. Oh, uh, yeah, for, but for, for this research we did qualitative uh, an analysis. So we uh, grouped them into themes, but uh, this is not quantitative so ah. still, yeah. <laughs> qualitative. So that's basically were you like keyword searching for like yeah, the good true. good and bad mm -hmm. words? Yeah, yeah, comments. yeah. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's not statistics, not not the numbers, right? Yeah. Still very interesting though, like with yeah. the with the general <laughs> general themes that come out of it. Another piece of research that you kindly kind of pointed me towards was uh, employing mm -hmm. employing the the houseless as a corporate social responsibility, uh, yeah. and this is a topic that's come up a couple of times on the podcast because. Uh, although I've not had any um, people who have suffered with homelessness on the podcast, um, there mm -hmm. has been stories of people from lower socioeconomic backgrounds progressing through and trying to address those inequalities. So sure. could you maybe talk about employing homeless people as a corporate social responsibility? Like, what, what does that mean? Like, is it literally okay. giving homeless people jobs? So, uh, so you know that uh, many 
organizations, uh, including hospitality organizations, they can see the benefits of engaging in CSR, corporate social responsibility, which can take many forms. And one of the form is uh, maybe to employ the home, uh, houseless people. And my colleagues and I aim to investigate the impact of hiring the individuals experiencing houselessness on uh, the, so the impact of hiring those people on uh, customers' behavioral intentions and their attitudes towards organization and the perceptions of the CSR actions. So employ those um, individuals, employ those uh, who are in, uh, experiencing houselessness can result in uh, many good outcomes uh, in the hospitality industry, such as um, the positive attitudes about the hotel, and positive word of mouth. That, that, that's what our finding. So our finding is that employing those people can result in customers' positive attitudes towards this because they can, uh, if you employ the houses people and then the customers will view that you are, you have a good image, uh, you have a positive image. Uh, so uh, you will see uh, the CSR of the, uh, the organization and then the customers will develop a positive view of the organization so that's the uh, uh the findings and the, in, the the implications for this research so it's on like the like a broad level of how someone views the organization and whether they'd kind of go back there for yeah for work yeah. so it, yeah was there anything on like the individual i don't know customer satisfaction when they are being served by someone that is homeless or has there not, not been done that recently yeah yeah so we did two experiments although these are not field experiment so we present some scenarios uh so the scenario that one one is the control scenario uh, the, the con control um, condition is that uh we, we didn't mention that those are houseless people and one condition is that uh well uh, the hotel the organization uh is uh, has this initiative and you are served uh by these people and uh we find that um so so that that, that uh there's a scenario on that and then uh so, so these uh, respondents are act as they are acting as the customers. So they uh, they will uh, report higher CSR perceptions and higher uh, uh, positive word of mouth about this. So, so it's based on the scenarios that we designed. I see. I see. Yeah. So, it's it's almost like um like green uh, not green washing, but because mm -hmm. that's obviously the negative side of it. But but if a company <laughs> course, yeah. has uh, has genuinely made recycled um, packaging or has mm. some kind of green charity initiative, uh, even yeah, if it's a, yeah. a few percentage, you know, maybe it's like topping up every ATP goes up to a pound of every spent, mm. you know, up to charity. Yeah. Those yeah. sorts of things, I think, go <laughs> such a long way. And as you mentioned, like brand perception. And I think yeah. especially when it comes to kind of employing houses, people who a lot of the time it's no fault of their own. They might be... Um, mm. ex ex military they might have had some big mm. shock or upset that's that's caused them to be to be homeless and yeah. i suppose that's a that's a way in which companies can kind of hit two birds with one stone because it's not only mm. good for them like no. so socially mm -hmm. to be uh -huh, employing yeah. those people but yeah. it also then reflects good on them and good. i think that that's obviously reflective of like a, a modern day society where post materialism where we we begin to value uh, these mm. things over purely just the good or service that we're that we're getting yeah. 
um, mm-hmm. which I think is super interesting because it's it's changing day by day the way that you know consumers make these decisions mm-hmm. based on these like kind of values and, and ethics rather than purely the material the material. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, thank you for sharing those thoughts with me. I I also learned a lot from you as well. <laughs> thank you. I'm I'm super interested in this kind of thing, and so I'm just kind of like piece together all the research that I'm hearing, and I, I think it's mm-hmm. I think it's so interesting. Before before we move on to the the TEDx um, talk, yeah. which I, I'd like I'd love to dive into. Is there yeah. anything else that you feel would be uh, worth sharing with the listeners? Like any any interesting research? Uh, another stream of my research, I am looking into the gig economy and their well being. So gig gig economy, you know, the Uber drivers, uh, the uh, the delivery riders, uh, you know, um, during the uh, COVID nineteen period uh, lockdown, they they are called essential workers, right? Uh, because they are providing those essential. Uh, jobs to uh, to us. However, the well-being has not been um, investigated a lot, and, uh, and uh, we have been doing research on this uh, as well. And uh, we have also got a paper published uh, in a hospitality journal. So, uh, gig workers' well-being is um, uh, one thing that we should uh, uh, we should care for, including their psychological well-being. Um, and their physical well-being, social well-being, because uh, those people, uh, they are, uh, o- although uh, they are still serving people, they still feel very isolated, and we should care for those people as well. I, I suppose it's because with big companies, they have the, the budget and the, the care to invest in. I mean, a lot of the big financial companies have, you know, they have yeah. private health care that comes with, with working for them. They have all these kind of initiatives within the company to bring people together and, and make sure everyone is mentally um, mm. doing doing okay, I suppose. Um, mm. And so <clears throat> there is that advantage of being self-employed in the gig economy of being your own mm. boss. But then on the mm. flip side is when things do go wrong, you don't really have as much of a of a safety net or a, or a community of people around you keeping you mm-hmm. in check. So I think it's it's, it's interesting and, and clearly so important to make sure that those people are being able to self-regulate their own emotions and their own well-being. Yeah. And, and the studying yeah. that can help us to identify if we do need to do more. Yeah. Uh, for example, yeah. I, I guess it's almost like the point of research, isn't it? Like you're also, mm. you're also trying to inform government in a way of like, are you missing anything here? Like, is, should the government be uh, creating policy for this? Are they missing a trick? So that, that's kind of the, the time, obviously, as an academic, you're continually doing that now and, and continuing to kind of push the boundaries in his hospitality and, and, and the psychology. <laughs> what led you to want to apply for uh, a TEDx talk? I mean, of course, I think it was Omantas that, that ran the event last year. Uh, the listeners would have known by now, of course, I, I had the privilege of, of hosting it as well. What, what, what made you want to, to share and not only share in general, but speak specifically on on motherhood and your experience of balancing that yeah so so myself is a mother and you know there are many um many negative assumptions about about mothers who take time off to stay at home with their kids right so those negative assumptions like they're not as uh, that motivated uh they won't be able to keep up and they they are not ambitious however uh, i want to share that uh, motherhood has many positive side and uh, my research supports the notion of the bright side of motherhood. Uh, so my colleagues and I have published an article on the bright side of motherhood. And in this study, we had uh, many of the inspirational, the 
uh, most inspirational talks, conversations with the working mothers uh, in the service industry. So being mother, being a mother has empowered these people and also myself to learn many new knowledge and develop the new skills, abilities. So for example, uh, being a mother can make me uh, very good at multitasking, time management, can make me more uh, resilient and perspective taking and sometimes uh, very tough. Uh, so I won't, so that's why I want to uh, apply I, I wanted to apply for the TED Talk, uh, TEDx Talk, and talk about my experiences. So I have shared many of my experiences with my daughter, and I also use uh, a famous quote, if you have raised uh, your kids, you can manage anything. So, uh, I so please feel free to have a look at my uh, TED Talk uh, if you are the audience. So, yeah, yeah so that's why uh, I'm very passionate about that topic as well, the bright side of motherhood. I think... What I particularly took away from your your talk, if I can sort of remember back to to listening to it, was that you know you 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 list these skills, um, but above all, I think the the thing is that there's something beyond yourself. You you realise mm -hmm. I think as we mentioned at the beginning, with the, even the comparison between some of the UK culture and the Western culture is very individualistic, and mm -hmm. I think we can get too wrapped up in just trying to do everything for ourselves and pursuing our own our own happiness too much to um, then neglect, for example, the, the beauty of raising a family, because as soon as you do that, um, you realize that your kids, you, you know, your kids are more important than you are, I suppose. You kind of, it gives you that, as you mentioned, perspective taking of being able to place something above yourself. And that gives you so much more purpose to what you do and so much more fulfillment, because even if uh, you know, I'm not just talking about academia, but even if uh, you, you get made redundant at work or something really negative happens in, in, your, in the sport that you love and whatever, mm -hmm. you no longer place your kind of value identity in those things because primarily mm -hmm. you're just serving and trying to be the best um, mother mm -hmm. or father um, uh, for your kids. So I think that's yeah. that's super interesting and, and not really something that I'd ever considered also then circles back to helping someone in the workplace. But that's that's how you've demonstrated as well is is it helps you overall as an individual realize those things and then obviously it, it has that place at work the title is obviously particularly striking i mentioned at the beginning we live in an age where from my perspective it seems to be that you know there's less and less focus on the family and more and more focus on the career if you kind of think of the trajectory oh, yeah. Yeah. um and i read a statistic somewhere i think a few weeks ago that Nearly 50% of, of women are, are 30 uh, and, and childless now. So mm. people are choosing to delay and choosing maybe not to have a child or, or get, get married and things. What, what do you think are the, the potential like negatives of this long term? Like, do you think there's going to be people kind of regretting this decision? And obviously you've, you've made the, the decision to, to have a child and obviously it's worked out so well for you. So uh -huh. what, what's your kind of opinion on, on the whole thing that's happening now? Mm. It's very interesting to know these statistics, and I think it applies to men as well. So I've also have many uh, female colleagues and male colleagues who are single and don't have a child. And I, I think um, choosing whether uh, to have a child and how, when to have a child uh, is a personal decision, and uh, we should fully respect and support that. Um, 
and perhaps it ha has both positive side and negative side uh, regarding uh, single and childless uh, after uh, since uh, their thirties. Um, it's good because it means that you have more control. Uh, and now women have more control to determine whether to have a child. Uh, but it's also sad because uh, you may feel lonely and uh, you may regret your decision uh, when you are in your 50s and 60s, uh, when uh, your menstrual cycle become, uh, becomes an end. So, so that's menopause, right? Uh, so you may regret decision because you, you can no longer have a child. Uh, but however, I think it's totally a personal decision and I totally respect how people choose their life. So, yeah. I, I definitely echo those those words on, on like a personal level. I mean, I'm not here trying to, to tell everyone, tell anyone yeah. that they're kind of making the wrong decision, but you, you, you do have to encourage people, especially, I, yeah. think, I think in general, people don't mm. look at their whole life and, and like the, 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 you know, the whole context of life. When they make a decision, mm. they might make more short-term decisions. I think so, yeah. But when we look at our, our parents and grandparents, I mean, they, 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 they live when you get to maybe retirement age and things, they live vicariously through their children and they love hearing what, mm -hmm. what their, their children and grandchildren get up to. And I think to choose kind of a personal pursuit and a career over that is it, oh, pretty, yeah. it's got to be a very, very good <laughs> um, yeah, and rewarding yeah, yeah. Uh, true, career. True. I, I, I think it's, uh, you, you need to make long-term decisions about this. Yeah. So, but if you have a child, it's a very good thing to have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's worth all of it. Because I see all the comments on social media now where, where people will see this and they're like, oh, they see something like a child doing something bad or, or a problem in oh. the family and they'll, they'll say, oh, this is this is the reason why I never want to have a child. But it's like people don't appreciate the flip side of that, which is I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't appreciate that yet. Obviously, it's going to be a number of years before I, I, mm -hmm. I meet someone and start a family. But it's certainly okay. something that I... I want to do because I realize that there is that huge good. fulfillment on the other side, right? Like it's not okay, just good, a, good. not just a um, a, a, yeah. a, a bad so, thing. <laughs> so, so you you really want to have uh, have have a family and have children, right? Yes, definitely, definitely, and and I think <laughs> oh, that's good to hear. It, it, it's a, it's a shame actually that society or the the mm -hmm. the the cost the cost of like purchasing a house. And the cost of like sustaining a family compared to mm -hmm. what it was maybe uh, two generations ago is is so much higher now, um, yeah. which I think is the main reason why people aren't uh, kind of settling down sooner. Because yeah, obviously to start a family, I'd probably want to have purchased a, a house and be able to uh, oh, work yeah. and things. And, and yeah, so yeah, obviously yeah. it's going to take a little bit longer, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, I know. Your, your wife wants you to have a house first before yes, having any children, right? Exactly. Yeah, you want, you want the stability to for, for the kids as well. So. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. Speaking about how you've managed to um, kind of draw on the lessons of, of, of having your, your little daughter and, and, and managing your career as an academic, do, do you think it's realistic for, for a lot of women to try and balance both? Do you think it's, it's possible? Or, do you think maybe you have a particular personality that enables you to do it so well? Mm. Uh, I, I'm still not sure if I'm very good at balance both work and life because I also work day and night. Uh, I, I, I have tried very hard to balance my work and life. So for example, I normally don't do my work 
from 3 p.m. because I have to pick up my daughter uh, and I need to uh, help her to uh, play the piano and sometimes I cook the dinner for her as well. Uh, so uh, I often, um, so if my work has not been done for that day, so after my work, uh, my, my daughter goes to bed, I try, uh, uh, I, I work until midnight. So from 9 p.m. to uh, 12 a.m. Right. So, so I still work day and night. And I also try not to work during the weekends. Uh, and uh, I, I think my suggestion to the working mothers would be that you really need to be very good at uh, time management. You need to really be uh, very efficient. And this is a very uh, a lifetime, a, a lifetime skill to learn. <laughs> so, um, and, and also you need to make time for yourself, have some me time. So find a hobby. Uh, that you really like uh, and for example i like the zumba class at the sari sports park uh, and i go to the sports park uh, almost every week to do some exercise to keep fit and it really helps uh, to improve your well-being and health so uh, so my suggestion would be um, that trying to uh, try to improve your time ma management skills and also do some self-care for yourself that, that, that's certainly something that right as you were saying that then just a, a, an image sparked into my head of when when i was a child and, and my mum works as like a, a part-time um carer for those with um learning or physical disabilities and i kind of yeah. remember her going off and doing a night shift and doing like crazy hours to to fit around oh, my dad's oh, schedule and it's like okay. you you realize how important that skill is to get right of like juggling all these spinning yeah, plates and things true. but then just again as you've mentioned how rewarding it all is because you you have that yeah. thing that's that, that gives you that purpose and you can balance in the well-being and do you think given the current like cost of living i think i mentioned it just now about you know how difficult it is to purchase property and even now with the rising prices of gas and electricity and things it's it's increasingly hard that if a, uh, a a mother wanted to stay at home and not go back to work, which I think is mm. equally uh, an admirable choice if someone chooses to do that. But mm. then they're being almost forced to go into work because they can't. Oh, yeah. They they can't just off the husband's salary. It's very. It's increasingly difficult to 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 pay all the bills and sustain that. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, what 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 should be the solution there? I mean, it's it's obviously going to be a very challenging time for people who want to try and try and do that. I yeah, guess. I, I husband's got to work harder. <laughs> oh, I think so. <laughs> yeah, because um, there are big costs, including uh, housing, food, utility bills, and uh, the fuels, right? So, so th there are many big costs, and uh, the parents have no choice but uh, both have to go to uh, go to work. Uh, and maybe a hu husband has to um um uh, like work harder, and and maybe ladies they they need to work part-time because they are forced to do so uh, and I, I think um, so so the reliance on two incomes is the only way uh, to maintain a decent standard of living for uh, many families but I, I think uh, I uh, myself I don't have the solution for all but I think uh, I think the government needs to provide some targeted support uh, especially for those uh, who earn low incomes because uh, otherwise, those low-income family will live in poverty. So, so maybe the government can provide some targeted, targeted solutions, such as tax benefits, um, and, and also um, 
the government can also help organizations to provide some financial support for organizations to support uh, their workers. Uh, yeah, so the organizations should look for uh, financial resources to support those uh, who have a, who, who have children. I suppose it's because it depends on what the government and what these organizations prioritize because yeah. uh, a, a lot of people will, will say that some organizations, some companies only care about the work that you're doing for them mm-hmm. and they don't care so much about uh, the family. And, and obviously there's been times where uh, women have been, it's kind of, it's, de- it's definitely sexist hiring selections where, because an employer will know that a woman will just go and take time off, obviously, to have the child, which is mm. a very, very good thing, but they'll make decisions yeah. to not employ them. So I think it's, it's certainly important for us as a society and a government to, to make the necessary kind of a- adjustments to facilitate what I believe is, is, is more important than than work, and it's it's more important than kind of just putting money on the table for, yeah. your, for yourself. And like you say, mm. with with potentially tax benefits or or mm. with with targeted support, I think that's um that's certainly something that that could could be useful. Speaking about your your own experience again, then before you have children and after you have children, most people will say that lots of things change about how you view the world. So, yeah, what, what yeah. what's that been like for you? So the lessons. It's not like uh, reading a book, uh, and after you read a book, uh, that you, you will learn all these lessons. It's not. <laughs> but I, I, um, I think both balancing work and life, um, it is kind of like time management, as I talk about, and also, uh, I really need to think from daughter, from my daughter's perspective. So, for example, yesterday, um, my daughter, my daughter talked to me that, oh, I don't want to play the guitar. Oh, no, no, so, sorry. I don't want to play the piano. I Instead, I want to play the guitar. Uh, and and I, I was like, why do you want to play the guitar? And she said, so that my daddy can teach me how to play the guitar. <laughs> so so that uh, I, 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 I really need to um, think about from my uh, daughter's perspective that um, re- uh, do I need to uh, investing uh, this time and money into guitar. Uh, so so I, I'm now thinking about may, maybe have a second instrument and maybe have some child lessons. And so it's really that I uh, need to think from my daughter's perspective. And also uh, I, I want to share with you a, a little story that I learned from uh, my daughter that uh, she told me a puzzle. Uh, she told me a puzzle yesterday that, uh, do you know where do fish live? Uh, where do fish keep their money? And the answer, do you, do you know the answer? The answer is riverbank. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. So, so, so she learned a lot of um, like, like something, uh, learned something from uh her school and um, uh, and uh, I she she likes to share with me. Uh, she she's much more extro extroverted, um, much more openness than me. So, um, uh, so I uh, I really. I like to learn from her, like every day what she do, uh, what she what she does in school, and uh, how she interacted with her friends. So yeah, so that's <laughs> that's this. Uh, I think that's such an interesting approach and kind of mindset yeah. with with the children is like not just yeah. what you're teaching them and how you're nurturing them, but but also what yeah. you're what you're learning from them because I mean, of course, with your own with your own situation you also have the added effect of uh she's teaching you literally mm. new words because she's growing up in the english school system and 
and obviously <laughs> English being a second language. But but more importantly yeah. than that is in general new attitudes, as you say, mm. better o- openness and more extroversion. You you, you learn yeah. things not only about yourself but also mm. new things that you, yeah. you 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 kind of broaden your your perspective. So I think that's yeah, it's super interesting to hear that if you can humble yourself, because I think a lot of parents might struggle with that kind of like trying to learn from their kids because, you know, like, you know, you're so much better than <laughs> your kids. Like you, you know so much more. But I think um, <laughs> your your kids can also teach you a lot um, yeah, for, for those reasons, of course. True, true, true. Mm. Speaking more more broadly about uh, motherhood and, and where, where it's going in, in society, like what, what do you think are the biggest challenges facing um, families kind of moving forward? Um, like especially mm. with the, I, I know we've talked about the, the rising the, cost of living and the potential yeah, the uh, government challenges, but uh, yeah. what are the biggest challenges facing that? I, I think for the cost of the uh, raising a child and the cost of living, that's one challenge. Uh, it also comes to the issues of work-life balance and work-life conflict because both parents are working. So, so those are big challenges. And I think moving forward, uh, it's not only raising a, raising children and doing the housework, but also uh, taking care of the elderly because your, our parents are also aging as well. So it comes to the balance of um, taking care of your uh, both your children, your parents, your grandparents, and uh, most importantly, uh, you really need to get some uh, personal time and uh, it's, called, uh, it's called me time. So it's about being present with yourself, mind and body. Um, so having some time um, that can, having ha- having having some time for yourself can help in so many ways so the big big biggest challenge is that you, you really need to taking care of so many people uh, uh, not only your child your parents your uh, grandparents but also but also you need to find time for yourself so that's I th- uh, what, what i think and what my suggestion is so the the, the biggest challenge is the fact that we we're going to face this aging population and caring for everyone other than ourselves so in amongst that, we've got to find time for ourselves so that we can. Because yeah. I, I always think that you know you, you can't be you can't be helping others. You can't be pouring from an empty cup, right? Mm. Like you've you've got to make sure that you are in a stable and happy place, so that yeah. then people get the best of you and you can make the best decisions rather than trying to like help others whilst also having tons of your own your own things to, mm. to deal with. Of course, so, yeah, yeah that yeah. definitely makes a lot of sense. Speaking like about your academia um, more specifically, mm. like is there anything, is there anything that um, you'd like to follow up on with with the research you've already done, or maybe new research that you're you're curious about and you haven't yet discovered? Yeah. Okay, so so I've talked about uh, motherhood so man, so so much, and another topic that I'm passionate about is uh, menopause. So I talk about menopause a little bit uh, in our conversation and we, we talk healthy aging. But I, have, I haven't done um, so much work on this, but I have organized a workshop on menopause uh, last year in November. So it's uh, uh, ESRC funded um, event and I have invited many uh, experts uh, who are uh, researching menopause and it has been very well received so it's a topic that many people many women uh, like those who are over 50s 60s they don't feel very 
comfortable to talking about to talk about openly. But it, when it comes to the menopause stage, uh, women suffer a lot. Uh, they suffer a lot of problems, and I, I hope to do more research on this topic on menopause and uh, healthy age healthy aging and investigate what organizations and the society can do about this what are the strategies that um, organizations and society uh, what they what they can help uh, in this stage yeah so that's uh, what i'm hoping to do uh, mm. in uh, in the future and hope to get more funding to do this research uh, and i kind of look, look forward to, to seeing some of that in that space because it's it's seen as this um, sort of like fringe thing, as you say, like no one really talks about it. And uh, I guess there's a lot of these kind of topics which have been historically, I suppose you'd say, taboo and, and not really socially, you don't really talk about it. But it's something that um, it doesn't just affect all women, but it also affects all men as well, because, all oh, men, yeah. <laughs> you know, like the people who are married, like having to kind of understand what's happening and, and better kind of... Um, uh, approach it i suppose and okay. i think i think that's that's what i really love about academia in in this sense mm. is because you know we have this thing that biologically happens to every woman at some stage and mm. we just for whatever reason we might we might understand like a, a protein supplement and have a, of and have like studied that hundreds of thousands of times to see if you can get more muscle yet this really important oh. thing yeah, that, yeah, that sure. you know is is been neglected in the scientific community that actually has way more kind of um way more impact and and, and so much scope to try and help and alleviate yeah. symptoms and I, I think there's been kind of you know new, new medications and practices and things that have kind of yeah. come in to try and aid in, in what's happening but i think yeah it's something that i admittedly i, I don't know that much about but when i've seen uh, i mean even yourself I, I saw i think on linkedin you post about it and people yeah. talking more about it in 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 general, I think it's something that we need to be more open to discussing, and you know, yeah. just have open eyes and ears to seeing what can be what can be done. Um, yeah, and find more support on how how it can be done well. Right. Yeah, it, pre precisely. So, yeah, I look forward to to seeing. Maybe maybe in the I don't know after you've done some of that research, you can come come back onto a podcast to, to discuss all about it. Um, oh, of course, of course, yeah. I look um, forward to that, yeah. Um, I, I should also do more research on men as well, right? As, as you talk about, yeah. Yes, right. I mean, again, even from a from a well-being perspective, I suppose, like even though it's a, it's, it's something that um, primarily affects women and, and kind of trying to understand it and, and, and kind of go through that process, it's also then... How how can men support that, and how can we be best equipped to try and um, yeah, it's, make that? Yeah, it's, it's not only how men can support women, but also how women can support men as well. Yeah, because men can also have many mental health issues during uh, um, if they are new father, right? So. Oh right, yeah, it's like completely in that in that whole space with um with understanding things, so. Yeah, look, look forward to it. Um, but I think that, 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 that probably brings the conversation to a close. I've really enjoyed uh, learning more about some of the things we've talked about today with the the impact that nature has on, on well-being, homeless yeah. employment, um, various things we've talked about, but specifically the, the, the motherhood aspect and balancing that and, and the lessons that you've taken away. Um, of course, if people would like to find out more specifically regarding that, um, they can they can find your, your TEDx talk and I'll link it. But 
Uh, how can people find uh, the rest of your work if they want to get in touch or look at some of the research? Uh, maybe they can follow my Twitter. I tweet some of my work there. Uh, I, I can share with you my Twitter account and they can find my work on my Google Scholar and ResearchGate. So uh, so my Google Scholar has, uh, over, uh, has all of my papers there. Uh, it's around 50, 50 papers. So you can click on my Google Scholar and click on my papers to find out more. And uh, please feel free to collect me. Uh, uh, and I'm happy to uh, look for wider collaborations with the industry as well. Perfect. I, I, can oh. I can share with you the links afterwards. Yes, yes, I'll, I'll make sure to link it. But um, thank you, thank you everyone for listening, and thank you, uh, Tracy, for for being so calm with your time this morning. Thank you so much. Thanks. <laughs>